say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you're to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. That's it. That's all he says about the Feast of Trumpets. Well, in our study of the feasts, we have basically been following this plan. And I told you this is where we would go, uh, the first lesson we had, and we've been doing this. We start off with the history of the feast and why it was given and the significance of it. We've talked about how it was fulfilled in the life of Christ, that remember these feasts are shadows or pictures of Christ who will fulfill them. And then we have tried to draw some practical applications to help our walk with God. That's been a good plan up to this point. This point, we've got to make a little bit of a detour. The first four feasts that we've studied in the spring are called the feasts of the former reign. They have already been fulfilled in the life of Christ. We had Passover. Christ is our Passover lamb. We had unleavened bread. The Christ is the bread from heaven. There was no sin in him. We had first fruits. That Jesus rose from the dead as our first fruits and the promise of our resurrection. And we saw also how he expects us to honor him with our first fruits of what he has given to us. Those three feasts take place right one right after the other. And then 50 days after first fruits, we studied last week, the Feast of Weeks, commonly called Pentecost, which commemorated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai and the giving of the Holy Spirit on what was called Mount Zion in Jerusalem, that God gave the Holy Spirit to write his law on our hearts not on tablets of stone, and that Pentecost is really the birthday of the church. But after Pentecost, there are no more major feasts until the fall. And we are currently living in the period of time between the former rain feasts, the ones we've studied in the spring, and the latter rain feasts, which start in the fall. There are three fall feasts. The Feast of Trumpets, which we're studying today, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. They happen in the fall, and they are still waiting to be fulfilled by Christ. So we've shifted from looking back at how Christ did fulfill the feasts to looking ahead and how he might prophetically yet fulfill those feasts. So we are in this period between the former rain and the latter rain, in the summertime with no major feasts. Now think with me. These feasts have to do with Israel and God's relationship with Israel and picturing for them who the Messiah was and what he would do. So since there are none in the summertime, it's reasonable to think that this summertime period between the feasts represents what we call the church age, the period that we are now living in. When the feasts of the spring are over, 
the feasts of the fall haven't happened yet, and God is dealing with the church from the day of Pentecost till when he starts back dealing with Israel. So these three fall feasts, trumpets, day of atonement, tabernacles, all begin within a 21 period of time in the month of the Jewish calendar called Tishra. The first day of the month is the day is the uh, trumpets. The tenth day of the month is the day of atonement, which you may know as Yom Kippur. And then the Feast of Tabernacles begins on the fifteenth day of that month and goes for seven days. Right, are you paying attention? <laughs> Where that has some interest for us is that that month, Tishra, in the Jewish calendar, corresponds to mid to late September, maybe into October. Which is why a lot of times you'll hear preachers come about the middle of September and say, get ready, Jesus could come back this month. You know, and, and that's because they're looking at, at those fall feasts. Now the period between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement are the most holy days of the Jewish calendar. They are called the High Holy Days or the Days of Awe, A-W-E. So we begin this morning by looking at the first of the fall feasts, the Feast of Trumpets. I read those verses in Leviticus 23. That's pretty much what the scripture tells us about the, the Feast of Trumpets. It was to be a day of rest. It was to be the day that you blew the trumpet and that's shofar. You hear people talk about shofar. The shofar was uh, a ram's horn that they would blow on these high holy days. And, and so we just call it a trumpet, but it was a shofar, a ram's horn. I'm going to emphasize it was a ram's horn, and you'll understand why in about eh, 20 minutes. And then they had to make an offering. And Numbers 29 talks about the kind of offerings they could bring. This is the only feast that was not given a specific name by God. Uh, he just calls it the day of the sounding of the shofar, the feast of trumpets. It doesn't specifically commemorate any event or season, you know, like Passover did or unleavened bread or Pentecost. Uh, it, it's just one of those feasts that look forward to future events for the nation of Israel. So I studied how the history of this feast developed. And still to this day, preparations for the fall holidays began one month in advance. On the first day, there is a 40-day period of deep introspection. And it ends on the Day of Atonement. And again, we said these are the most holy days of the Jewish year. The Hebrew word for this period of time means to repent or to return. If you talk to a devout Jew, they will talk to you about how serious this period of time is in their lives for introspection and reflection and returning to God. And during the 30 days leading up to the Feast of Trumpets, in the synagogue every morning, they blew the shofar to remind everybody the holy days are coming. Prepare yourself. 
I think we could learn from that, you know, to prepare ourselves for significant times uh, in our walk with God, significant times of the church year. I've often said, and it, and it was jokingly because it's, I, I know that's not the real reason, but sometimes I think the reason churches have to have 30 or 40 minutes of, of worship and singing is because nobody was prepared to worship God till they got to church, you know, and you had to get everybody in the mood. Um, you know, my, it, it's always good to prepare yourself for Sunday before Sunday gets here. Uh, you know, I sent you out the email a couple of weeks ago before we had the Lord's Supper. So you would have some time to prepare your hearts and your minds to prepare for that. So there, there's, a, there's a good uh, lesson for us there to prepare for special times of our walk with God. Now what's interesting, and this is not biblical, but this is historically what happened with this feast. It was to be the first day of the month, which is the day of the new moon. And so when they saw the new moon, that was the first day of the month. The problem is some nights are cloudy and overcast and they couldn't see the moon. So they weren't sure if it was the new moon or not. And so throughout history, they actually added a second day to kind of make sure they didn't miss it, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and so they added a second day to the celebration. Now, if you're wondering why you probably haven't heard too much about the Feast of Trumpets, it's because it's usually called Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year or a new year. This was not applied to this feast until at least the second century. You may remember that Jerusalem and the temple were utterly destroyed in AD 70. And when that happened, the celebration of the Feast of Trumpets was dramatically changed. And by about the second century, the timing of the feast coincided with the beginning of Israel's civil new year. So you had Passover, which is the beginning of the biblical year. Trumpets is the beginning of the civil new year. Rosh Hashanah, New Year, Head of the Year. It's kind of like you have the calendar and you have a fiscal year and you have an academic year. You know, so Israel has the, the biblical year that begins at Passover, the civil year, which begins at Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. And that's the name that it's commonly called now. And again, the main element of the day was blowing the shofar, the ram's horn. Now, what in the world does that have to do with Jesus? And I know you're asking, what in the world does that have to do with me? And we'll get to that after we talk about what it has to do with Jesus. <laughs> if you study these feasts, you will find that most people believe that this feast, the Feast of Trumpets, will find fulfillment when Christ returns to earth. And within that theory, there are two schools of thought. One is that on the Feast of Trumpets, God will return in the rapture. You remember the rapture is when Christ meets us in the air and the dead in Christ rise first and we which are alive and remain caught up to meet them in the air. And some believe that that will happen on the Feast of Trumpets, which again is why you will hear 
certain preachers and Bible teachers come September start talking about, get ready, Jesus could come back. Because they believe that he's going to come back in the rapture at the Feast of Trumpets. And they use, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, we will not all sleep, we'll all be changed in the flash and the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, we'll be changed. They use 1 Thessalonians 4, remember the, the dead in Christ will rise first, the Lord will come down from heaven with a shout, the voice of the angels, and the trumpet call. And so they believe that this trumpet is referencing the Feast of Trumpets. And they believe that Jesus will come back for his church at the Feast of Trumpets, take us to heaven to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb, come back to earth seven, day, seven years later on the Day of Atonement, and then establish his kingdom going into the Feast of Tabernacles. Now I want to say this just parenthetically, that just because the Bible says the trumpet sound will be involved in something does not mean that he's talking about the Feast of Trumpets necessarily. Now, the second school of thought is that Christ will come back in the second coming at the Feast of Trumpets. The second coming is when he comes back literally, physically to this earth. Uh, and we've talked about this. You can, you can find our, I'm sorry that I don't have the specific sermon, but you go back to our first and second Thessalonians series and you'll find a sermon on the day of the Lord that talks about the difference between the rapture and the second coming. The second coming is when Jesus comes back and sets his feet on this earth once again. The scripture says he'll set his feet on the Mount of Olives. There will be an earthquake. He will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem on the throne of David, and that will usher in what we call the millennium, that thousand years of peace. So the chronology as I understand it, and again, not everybody agrees, and that's fine, because we don't know yet, and we won't know, and we won't care when we find out. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the general, my, my belief is, or my opinion is, the rapture will happen, we, the church will leave, then we'll usher in that seven-year tribulation period, and then Christ will come back, the armies of the earth will turn to fight him, he will wipe them out, and establish his kingdom at the second coming in Jerusalem. And there are a lot, again, I said, just because a, a trumpet is involved doesn't mean it's the Feast of Trumpets. But there are a lot of trumpets involved leading up to the second coming. Isaiah chapter 18, verse 3, All you people of the world, you who live on the earth, when a banner is raised on the mountains, you'll see it. When a trumpet sounds, you'll hear it. Zechariah 9 says, The Lord will be seen over them. His arrow will go forth as lightning. The Lord will blow the trumpet and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. If you read Revelation 8 and 9, you will read about the seven trumpets and the judgments that come from the trumpets. And in Matthew 24, speaking of the second coming, Jesus said he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect. And when Jesus talks about his elect, he's talking about Israel from the four winds. So I mentioned to you earlier that the feasts have to do with the nation of Israel. So I personally lean more toward that the Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled prophetically at the second coming. But again, that doesn't matter. You know, it's future. Nobody, you know, will know who's right and who's wrong until we get there. And that doesn't really matter. And, and it bothers me sometimes 
when people spend so much time and energy trying to figure out things that are yet to come, where there's differences of opinion, all of which can be backed up you know, by different verses that you find, when Jesus clearly said, no one knows that day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son, but only the Father. If Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back yet, why should I think I can figure it out, right? I mean, just read the, what the Word says. Keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come when you do not expect him. Acts chapter 1. Remember the disciples were all about the kingdom. And they asked him, now are you going to restore the kingdom? We've been through this crucifixion stuff, whatever that was, and now you're resurrected. Well, now can we have the kingdom? And he says, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his authority. So we're not going to do that either. I, I throw those theories out to you so that if you want to do some of your own study, feel free to do it. Let me just warn you that this study can be like quicksand. <laughs> you know, you can get caught all up in it and get deeper and deeper and deeper. And let's remember what I said week one of this study. Don't get so hung up in the shadow that you miss the substance. Don't get so caught up in the picture of what is to come that you miss the one who came to fulfill it. So I'm at this point in my study. So, okay, well, what in the world can I say to me and, and to the people about practical applications of Rosh Hashanah. What, what is it that we can take to improve and enhance and deepen our spiritual life? And so I started studying the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah, what happens, some of the prayers they pray and the things that they do on that day, and found that there are three main overarching themes of, of the scriptures and the prayers that to this day are used in the synagogues on Rosh Hashanah. The first has to do with God's kingship and his sovereignty, his authority over creation. There are some who believe that Rosh Hashanah uh, commemorates the creation of the world, which is kind of interesting. But there is a benediction that is used during the worship of the Feast of Trumpets that says this. Now, again, remember, this is not at a Christian church on Sunday. This is in a Jewish synagogue on Rosh Hashanah. One of the benedictions says this. May all the inhabitants of the world realize and know that to thee every knee must bend and every tongue must vow allegiance. The Lord shall be king forever and ever. Wow. The second overarching theme of the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah is asking God to remember his covenant, his mercy promised to his people. There is another benediction, and I have the specific terms, names of these benedictions. I just don't know how to pronounce them. And so rather than open myself up to all kinds of comments saying, come on, man, don't you know how it's pronounced? No, I don't. <laughs> so I'm not even going to say them. But, but there is another benediction 
that says this, Remember in our behalf, Lord our God, the covenant, the kindness, and the solemn promise which you made to our father Abraham on Mount Moriah. Now, if Mount Moriah sounds a little familiar to you, you may remember the story. After Isaac is born, and he's probably a preteen or a teenager by now, God says to Abraham, take your son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Because God wanted to make sure that Abraham's faith was in God and not even God's promise. And they go to Mount Moriah. And Isaac figures out something's happening because they're going up Mount Moriah and they've got the wood, you know, to, to start the sacrifice. They've got whatever they used as a fire starter. And Isaac looks at his father Abraham and says, I see the fire. I see the wood. Where's the lamb? What are we going to sacrifice? And I'm going to preach about this in a little bit, but I'm just going to talk to you about it right now. Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. And you remember Isaac is on the altar and God stops Abraham. And he looks up and you remember, there's a ram in a thicket caught by its horns. The shofar. Now we begin to understand the significance of the shofar. That ram is caught by its horns. And on the Feast of Trumpets, we blow the ram's horn as a celebration to God, asking him to remember his covenant. And the third overarching theme, it's a reminder of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Again, there's a part in the liturgy where they say, the whole world trembled at thy presence. Creation shook in awe before thee. When thou, our king, did reveal yourself on Mount Sinai, amid the blasting of the shofar, you appeared to them. And again, we talked about that a week or so ago. You read Exodus 19 and the blowing of the shofar and all of that to call Moses up to the Mount of Sinai. It's kind of exciting. And then... I learned something else. There is a ceremony that the Jews do on the afternoon of Rosh Hashanah. They gather near a body of fresh flowing water. And they take, sometimes they'll give their kids breadcrumbs, but usually it's pebbles. They'll take pebbles and they'll toss them into the current as they recite Micah 7, 18 through 20. Who is God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever. You delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. It's called the ceremony of casting off. This is the so what of Rosh Hashanah for us. 
focusing in on the overarching themes of this. God is sovereign. Do you need to remember that this week? God is sovereign. I'm going to expand on that. This is the amplified version of God is sovereign. Okay. When I got up Monday morning, God was sovereign. When I went to bed Monday night, God was sovereign. When I got up Tuesday morning, election day, God was sovereign. When I went to bed Tuesday night, God was sovereign. When I woke up Wednesday morning, God was sovereign. When I went to bed Wednesday night, God was sovereign. When I woke up Thursday morning, God was sovereign. When I went to bed Thursday night, God was sovereign. And so on, and so on, and so on. God is sovereign. And I, I just, I got chills when I saw that one of the benedictions that the Jews read on Rosh Hashanah is, may all the world know that to thee every knee will bow and every tongue vow allegiance. There is coming a day, not up for debate, not up for vote, not up for a constitutional amendment. There is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. The question for you and me is, has our knee bent and said Jesus is Lord? Have we acknowledged him as our Lord, as our Redeemer, but more than that, our Lord, our Master? Second, God is the lawgiver. And that law of his, again, it's not up for debate. It's not up for a vote. Doesn't matter how many polls you take that show this or this. God's law is settled forever. Not up for debate. Those of us who believe that appear to be an a decreasing minority, but it doesn't change the truth. His law is not up for debate. The third overarching theme is, is we're sinners and we need forgiveness and we need mercy. Now I'm going to go back to Genesis 22 and Mount Moriah. Again, Isaac says, I see the wood, I see the fire. Where is the lamb? Abraham says, verse 8, God will provide himself a lamb. There is some indication that the grammar of that sentence could actually be translated, God will provide himself as the lamb. And immediately we see Christ. That not only did God provide the lamb by that ram that was caught by its shofar in the thickets, God provided the lamb and we see him in the manger of Bethlehem and we see him teaching and healing and we see him on the cross and we see him resurrected. He provided himself as the lamb to take away the sins of the world. I uh, just... You know, the scripture is so full, so rich of meaning. God provided himself as a lamb. 
And God is merciful. And, and as devout Jews gather by a body of water and throw pebbles into it, symbolizing their sins being carried away, we know the reality of the blood of Jesus Christ washing away our sins. We know the reality that he buried our sins in the sea of his forgetfulness, never to be remembered against us anymore. We don't have to do that every year or every week. He died once for all to provide forgiveness of our sins. We ought to celebrate Rosh Hashanah and just say, thank you, Jesus, that you have taken away our sins, that you have forgiven us, that you provide mercy, that you remember your promises, that your law will be true and is true, and you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we sang, throughout eternity I'll ever praise you, and forevermore I'll reign with you. Ah, good news. Thank you, Father, that in the pictures of these feasts, you reveal to us the truth that we know about as believers. But sometimes I think we kind of take it for granted. Sometimes I think we, we lose sight of the fact that you've been picturing this for us for thousands of years. And now we're experiencing it and we're living in it. And I thank you for that. Thank you that you are the sovereign Lord. Thank you that <laughs> you, you've not abdicated your throne in heaven. You're not up in heaven pacing back and forth, wringing your hands, wondering what am I going to do next. You are the sovereign God. In fact, it says that the, the more rambunctious and, and angrier and more hostile the world gets, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh because you know how it all is going to end. So Lord, encourage us in the midst of the reality of our lives, may we also keep sight of the reality of Christ, the reality of capital T, truth, the reality that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And may we live with the joy of knowing your mercy and knowing your forgiveness and knowing your promise. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here today. God bless you. Go in peace.